The Third Man Podcast is a fan-made, not-for-profit, just-for-fun celebration of Jack White and is in no way directly affiliated with Third Man Records or the man himself. For the definitive history of Jack White and his music, please consult your local Jack White. And for everyone else looking for a home, you found one here, in a place so seedy. Enjoy! to the third men podcast the jack white and third man records history program and i'm your co-host P -P -P paul kaminsky i'm starting to do the the P -P -P every time and it's not so great actually <laughs> now i'm thinking about it. it's uh you're just you need one of those those pop filters for those Pelosives, plosives, plosives, palomas. Yeah. anyway i'm your other yeah, co-host the nancy yeah. pelosives <laughs> i'm your other co-host james kaminsky and yeah I, I think you already said this is a jack white history podcast but it is uh, in case you were wondering. Yeah. And James, you were my silver lining, but now you're gold. Hooray. Hooray. That'll make sense in a moment, everybody, because today we have a couple very special guests joining us for another extended interview. We have joining us Cash and Sky, a.k.a. Sophia Sky and Henry Cash. Of course, Cash and Sky are a new rock duo that released their debut single, no More Candy on Third Man Records in 2021. And James and I were just in love with this single. And before we even knew that there was a connection to Rilo Kylie, I remember remarking to you, James, oh, that seems like there's a, uh, this. it's got a little Rilo Kylie on it on the back end. Mm -hmm. And that's what I was referring to earlier. You see, James, the silver lining is a Rilo Kylie song. I see. And so that was what that joke was, which is always best when you have to explain it later. <laughs> yeah, no, that's good. And yes, they run in a similar vein uh, musically with this single, and it's it's a beautiful single. Both the A-side and the B-side are, are excellent. It was a, a, a nice surprise release, and uh, yeah, they're, they're great. Yeah, we love Cash and Sky. So anyway, they were gracious enough to uh, chat with us, and we're going to present that interview with y'all today. Of course, Henry Cash is also from the band Starcrawler, which is fronted by Arrow DeWild, and Arrow has just got this awesome rock and roll front person energy that's just like hits you over the head when you look at their music videos it's just it's captivating and i i think that's also partly due to the fact that autumn DeWild is directing those videos but if anybody out there has not checked out starcrawler first of all Check out their full-length album, which I did, wound up buying and really loving. And on it is uh, the great track, I Love L.A., and the music video for that is just really, really fun and rock and roll in all the right ways. So Henry got a lot going on. Sophia got a lot going on. Of course, Sophia's father is Pierre de Reeder from Rilo Kiley. I don't think we mentioned that earlier, but Pierre de Reeder is also, uh, you know, a sort of a, been a musical presence in the world of indie rock over the last couple decades and he's wonderful we're big fans of his we're big fans of Sophia, and we're just really excited to be talking about all this stuff today yeah and you should all check out their latest single if you haven't if you if you haven't hopefully this interview will convince you because because boy it is great that's right but before we get to that james we had a sleuth find out something for us we are gonna go to the segment we call rough detectives <gasps> Each one is searching for that vital clue to end a story that so far has no ending. Also, two other intriguing mysteries needing but one final clue to solve them. Someone watching tonight may know the truth. Indubitably, my good woman. You're an unusual suspect now, admit it right. The kind old man cannot 
Oh, man. Love this. Thanks, Robert Stack. Yeah, Rough Detectives is the portion of the show. Well, actually, James, why don't you explain it? Rough Detectives is the portion of the show in which we or you listeners out there kind of do some do some private dicking. You do some... <laughs> <laughs> it's it's never not funny the fact that detectives are private dicks is never not funny i feel like the name has transcended the penis thing Mm -hmm. like if you call somebody dick like there's i feel like that has transcended sure right sure but not the detective one no I wonder why that is. We'll need some dicks to, to really sort that one out. So in episode, I think, 158 of the podcast, we did a year in review episode with Mr. Ben Blackwell, and it was lovely. We had a great time talking to Ben. And in the interview, Ben brings up a fun tidbit of knowledge or quote or whatever about Jack White in relation to Eric Clapton. And there was some quote he was telling us to find that was in or around the Jeff Beck performance era Mm -hmm. where jack and meg played with jeff beck i think it was 2004 earlier than that no it was like 2002 something and then ben was like i'm not going to tell you where to find it you find it he's like it's out there you track it down and so of course i'm editing this episode and we edited that episode i'm going to peel back the curtain here we edited that episode in i think two days and by we Uh, paul means he because he he did it very masterfully again quickly (laughs) right around the holidays and so my bleary christmas visage was editing this and i got to that point and i could i god i tell you for the life of me could not find this quote i searched far and wide ben was like you'll know it when you find it it's funny and i was like there's nothing funny here so in the episode (laughs) itself you'll hear i put in what some some garbled sound effect because i assumed that jack must have said it during the jeff beck show Mm -hmm. and it was just garbled and no one could understand it so i thought this is the best i got i we got to get this episode out i'm sure this is funny ungarbled (laughs) well when i sent ben the the uh this episode just went live thing he was like and this is true i'm gonna read from ben's email i searched hard and couldn't find it Okay. Good. So for your sake, (laughs) the quote the White Stripes put out at that time when they played with Jeff Beck was, quote, any member of the Yardbirds is welcome to sleep on our couch anytime, except Eric Clapton. (laughs) (laughs) Which is very funny. Ben finishes with, was probably in NME, but after an hour of searching, I just gave up. So first of all, that made me feel better. Yeah. That I couldn't find the dang thing. And also is a very, very funny quote. Yes. Because like, I think we can all, at this point in our lives, look, bell-bottom blues and cocaine are fine. But at, at this point in our lives, I think we can all agree, fuck Eric Clapton. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, live long enough, you live long enough to see yourself become the villain, and Eric has done that. <laughs> so anyway, that's very, very funny to me that Jack White said that in like the early 2000s when it was still apparent that he was kind of an a-hole because he had said some some really controversial and let's call them xenophobic things Mm -hmm. in the the late 70s and and 80s whatever putting that aside that's a very fun quote thank you ben for being our private sleuth our private detective yes and ben Ben is above ben is above these jokes yeah and that's been rough detectives it's elementary. What ties these events together is a global conspiracy that began at the start of World War II. It may still be going on today. Okay, so now it's time to get to this interview here. James, what do you say? Should we throw it to Cash and Sky? I would love to. Yeah, let's do it. All right. All right, we'd like to welcome to the Third Men podcast Henry Cash and Sophia Sky of Cash and Sky. Henry and Sophia, 
Hi, welcome. Hey, how you doing? We're good. We're We're so happy to have you on here. We love the new single. It's a pleasure to talk to you guys. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having us. I feel like there was a big outpouring of everyone who was cooped up in 2020 and not working on their secret musical manifesto. And then it all poured out in 2021. And there was so much beautiful music. (laughs) And you guys are some of our favorite music. I we love that single. It's absolutely, it's so awesome. Oh, it's thank you. Thank you yeah. so much. Uh, so we'll start here just to give a little bit of background. Now, obviously, in the in the third man copy, they gave, uh, you know, when the ser- single was announced, they gave uh, a little bit of a background. And it mentioned that you two were, in fact, I guess, high school lovebirds, their words. Yeah. Uh, but can you tell us a little bit about uh, how you guys met up and, and how you initially bonded? I, I would assume there was there was music in the mix over there and, and you know, maybe similar tastes, uh, mutual groups, shows you saw. Can you give us a bit of... Of, uh, a bit of the history there yeah definitely I mean I feel like for me we met when I was 15 he was 16 and in our generation I feel like there's not a lot of people like really into good music <laughs> so we went to the same like arts high school and we both did music there and it was so like refreshing to meet Henry who also like knew who Tom Petty was and stuff <laughs> and we like bonded over music like right away um, and that was just like really cool <laughs> yeah that's awesome yeah yeah, she she actually grew up with Arrow, who yeah. was in who's in my other band, Starcrawler. Yeah, and so I didn't know her, but we met at school and found out that she knew Arrow and Arrow's family, right? Because her parents are in music as well, so it was kind of like a, I don't know a bonding there too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So so Sophia, were you? Were you playing an instrument at that time? Were you writing songs? Were you singing much? Like, how was, where where did you set along the path to actually creating music? I was, I've always been singing pretty much my whole life, but I was kind of just getting into guitar kind of more seriously. But at that time, not really. Um, yeah. I just singing. I was really into like Patsy Cline and Linda Ronstadt and stuff like that. And like big belters, you know, that yeah. uh, <laughs> Sound, um, and still still am but um yeah i'm still kind of just learning guitar <laughs> yeah your voice is so um it, it there's a a calm there but i always feel like underneath the calm is bubbling all this emotion that you like let out in spurts like it feels like you target it in places in the song but there is sort of a calming kind of I don't know, way about your voice. I mean, how did how did you go about developing or finding your voice? I mean, again, I love just like big belting country Dolly Parton style singing. Yeah. And I tend to think of myself as kind of like a quiet, like introverted, shy type of person. But <laughs> sure. I like really belt and sing loud. Um, and that's kind of how I get all my emotions out into the world. Yeah. So I don't know. I also kind of did, I know this is like taboo in like the music world, but I did musical theater all my childhood. Oh, yeah. I got to do that, which was just like, you know, fun and whatever. And that's like kind of how I got my quote unquote training or whatever. I also I'm in college studying music. Yeah. Opera singing. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like my singing is just kind of a combination, like a hodgepodge of a bunch of different, (laughs) different (laughs) picked up picked up over the years i really also like gillian welch's singing a lot a lot of people who project to the back of the room there what's your musical of choice oh my goodness musical (laughs) well musical i mean if you're doing musical theater what what's your what's your preference oh goodness i don't know i always i was always kind of typecast as the like goofy (laughs) character that like (laughs) oh you know like i did hairspray i don't know if you know hairspray i was hairspray I was like, (laughs) yeah, I don't know. Uh, Always typecast as like the good girl who gets bad by the end or whatever, like Sandy and Grease, that kind of vibe. (laughs) Nice. And Henry, you're a maniac on the guitar. We were talking about this a little bit before the call, but where did you find the guitar and what did it do to you? Because it seems to fly (laughs) through your body and your very soul. Yeah, my parents played music. And so I just grew up with the music around the house and i was always listening to music and at first i was playing drums and my dad played guitar so i didn't really want to play guitar when i was really little i wanted to play guitar i sort of lost that but i could play like cowboy chords and shit but i just wasn't (laughs) what i wanted i wanted to play drums and so i was playing drums and 
I played in a couple bands and then I got another gig playing bass in a band. And so I was playing drums and bass a lot. Then when I met Arrow in high school, yeah. she came up, she came up to me. Uh, I was carrying a tuba cause I also played, tu- I played <laughs> classical tuba and euphonium. And she asked if I played guitar Yeah, and uh, cause she was, you know, trying to form a band together. And I said, yeah, I play guitar. Cause I, I did yeah. play guitar. just wasn't what I really wanted to do. Yeah, you were I've been playing guitar the, ever since. You were living in the pocket for a while. And then I guess you broke out and you started shredding out front there. That's awesome. Yeah. And then I started playing a lot of guitar. There's some Jack White connection there too. Cause he was a similar thing, you know, started ish on guitar, but really wanted to lean into drums and then return to guitar later. Yeah. I mean, when I saw it might get loud when I was, I think it came out when I was like in third grade. Yeah, it, it was really weird because I went to public school and there was nobody that was into music like I was. So I didn't really have people to play with. So I would like pull like my bed to the side and like set up all the instruments and record onto like the family computer onto GarageBand to like move the computer up to my room and like <laughs> make songs by myself. And when I saw that movie, I was like, whoa, I'm not alone. And Like I liked <laughs> the music. And but that yeah. was another reason why I was like, look at him play guitar. Like, I can never do that. So why even? Why yeah. play guitar? Play something else. <laughs> I guess. Every instrument you named there before guitar is all about keeping rhythm and keeping time, which probably yeah. ended up helping your, your guitar playing in the long run anyway, because uh, it really gets you your mindset in a different place. But I think that's uh, that's not the takeaway you should get from that movie. It's uh, <laughs> no, no. DIY is the takeaway. You could really make a guitar out of a Coke bottle and play that thing. You're good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it really inspired me to just be fine playing anything, especially his like whole style. Like I never wanted to be like a shreddy guitar player. And there was so many like there's so many like shreddy kids that could just shred. And I never wanted to do that. I just wanted to like write songs and play with other people. It worked out for me. Yes. Yeah. And you were also both in the in a great culture to do it out here. Yeah. I mean, not only from the backgrounds, but LA is just full of that Definitely. stuff. My wife worked for a program called CAP out here, which uh, was run through CalArts. And we, we just seeing like all of the different training, like just yeah. through, through interaction with other kids and being able Definitely. to come up and build this huge infrastructure for which you could build your whole career on was really awesome to behold, you know? Yeah, I wouldn't be able to do anything else. So I'm really glad that <laughs> I seem to be doing fine right now, doing just music stuff. But yeah, I feel like that was also another thing. I just wanted to learn to play as many instruments as I could just so I could take whatever gig I needed to take. Yeah, sure, for sure. Yeah. That was that was my backup plan. <laughs> <laughs> well, how did, how did you both get introduced to the Third Man kind of universe? Because obviously, rock and roll's in your blood. But were you guys fans of the White Stripes or Jack White's music or anything before that? Anything on the Third Man label? Yeah. How did you kind of get involved in there? Well, Jack White was my idol as a kid, and he still is. And like, he's the best. And having the a record label that kind of does everything that I like. Like I had great country like that Loretta Lynn record and like all the, I love the blue room singles. Yeah. So I was always aware of it. I was a vault member as a kid and I'd like wait in line to see his shows for like eight hours. <laughs> I had a really crazy experience when I was, I think 12 years old, I went to the, a show and I like had to like take the train there and like saved up money and bought tickets through the vault website or something. And I waited in line for eight hours and they must have saw me out there or something because when he was on stage, first of all, there was like all these like 40 something year old women that were like really hating that I was there that early because I was like taking spot or something, but I was like small. <laughs> um, but he walked out on stage and he was like two songs in and he like calls over to his tech and he like puts his arm around and then he points down to me. And then all these women start getting like really excited that, like, oh, they're pointing to me. And then Lalo comes down and he tries to pull me out of the crowd. And these women are like kicking my legs, oh, like no. trying to like get around me. And I'm like, they're alone. And then they're like, no, you. And they like pull me to the side and they're like, uh, you have friends on stage you want to come back? You have friends on stage. And I said, Oh no, I don't. I'm here for the show. 
And they're like, no, you have a friend on stage. And then they pulled me over the barrier and got to watch the rest of the show from backstage. And he did it to two other kids that were in the audience as well. And these two girls that were like old, I was like maybe 12. And then they were like 15, 16 year old girls. And so it was just me and these two 16 year old girls standing there like in awe. And then he walks off stage at the end and he has this big bottle of champagne in his hand and he hands it to one of the girls that like, we're all standing like this together and then walks away. And it was like an amazing show. And like, they all walk off and then they're all gone, like walked backstage. Then the security guard opens the stage door and sees three teenagers holding a bottle of champagne (laughs) and throws us like, literally picks me up and throws me out the side stage door with these two girls and like the girls are like crying and like i'm like all sad wow wow that it was really cool that was your first jack white concert too (laughs) that was my second one but they were like two days in a row it was the fonda and mona yeah okay that's but, um, amazing. It's a way better story than mine, in which I looked like a goober at 17 bringing drumsticks and, you know, three stories up in Madison Square Garden. <laughs> but, damn. I, well, I never got to see the White Stripes. It was, well, we saw their, like, second to last show, something like that. It was, yeah. It was, it was, yeah. Um, so, Sophia, were you were you a fan at all? Or were you listening at all or not, not really? Uh, yeah. Um, I love the White Stripes. And that it's kind of really surreal, that word we put out a single on third because like one of the first bands that me and Henry like ever like talked about or like one of our first conversations ever was about how much we loved the white stripes. Yeah. Which is just so cool. Um, <laughs> I grew up really like indie into like indie music and stuff like that. And in that scene. But when I found the white stripes, when I was like 12 or 13, I was like, Whoa, this is, this is a whole nother level. And it kind of just rocked my world. Like it was a crazy discovery. Um, and I was so obsessed, like every album front to back. That was just all I listened to all day in middle school. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of <laughs> such a crazy experience. I don't have a crazy show story. Um, Henry yeah. took me to my first Jack White show. Oh, cool. But where was that? The Mayan. <laughs> yeah, the Mayan. Oh, oh nice. For uh, the uh, Boarding House Reach tour? Yeah. Yeah, I was there. I was there for that. I was at that show. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. we waited in line for that one and we're front and center (laughs) oh that's awesome that's awesome yeah yeah yeah, that was a beautiful show i still have my i bought one of those los angeles who's with me shirts and honestly i i can't wear it anywhere because it seems either like i'm in scientology or something like like, no one knows what it is so it's just hard um but anyway uh that's awesome uh and henry we're we're gonna talk about starcrawler a little bit more later in the interview because obviously you playing there and there was release there yeah. um, predating what your work with Sophia. But how did Cash and Sky wind up being released by Third Man? Like, how did that come together? Well, that sort of goes into like the whole Starcrawler world. Oh, okay. Yeah. When Starcrawler first formed, we made a single uh, with this guy, Stephen McDonald, who played in this rad band, Red Cross. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We didn't have a bass player yet, so he played bass. And he also did, earlier, he did a White Stripes, he p- added bass to a White Stripes record. That the guy. Red Blood Cells. And it was yeah. Red Blood Cells, That's which right. was really cool. <laughs> he He's known, like, the White Stripes. And Arrow's mom took the photos for Icky Thump and, like, a bunch of amazing White Stripes photos. Yeah. And so Arrow kind of grew up going... Like, just sort of being there as a little kid. So she sort of was in that range. And we sent our first single to Third Man, thinking that maybe, you know, they'd want to put it out. And they weren't interested. Wow. And <laughs> so we were like, okay, cool. Like, And then we got on Rough Trade, which turned out to be really cool. And yeah. We went over to Europe and UK and did super well over there and, like, made a couple records. And then... Somewhere along the way, our manager also knew Ben Swank, yeah, and uh, and Ben Blackwell, and from like he was in this band, The Walkmen, and they were sort of in like similar like rad indie rock worlds. And it turned out that we were going to do this tour and play the Third Man Records. But before that, even we met Jack. He came to a show that we played with the Distillers in Nashville. Oh wow! And yeah. it was super rad and. 
after that, we played Third Man Records. And then, so on the tour, we played Third Man Records. Everybody there was super nice, and we had a great time and made a lot of friends over there. Yeah. And then we had this record and thought, well, I don't really know anybody. We had to ask permission from Rough Trade. They didn't really want to do it, and I asked Third Man, and they were like, yeah, we'll do it. Wow. So that it was amazing. So you both got the last laugh, and uh, James and I can go ahead and rub that in the Ben's faces when next week. Yeah, talk. I mean, I did <laughs> did you uh, make fun of Ben for that for uh, for turning you down at first? <laughs> yeah. No, and no, not not at all. I'm kidding, obviously. Yeah, okay. I'm glad it worked out the way it did. It's like one of those things where sometimes things just work, and that worked out the best way it possibly could. I love everybody over at Third Man, and it's so cool to do this project with them. Yeah, and doing the live singles with Starcrawler back to back because we did Detroit and then we drove overnight to the soundcheck to Nashville. Wow. And that was one of the best experiences in my life. Just being able to record there. Amazing. I joked that I think I'm the first vault member to ever turn around and like record a record (laughs) on third man live there. But (laughs) you might be. It's it's entirely possible. Yeah. Well, that's that's awesome. Well, then that brings us to the to the no more candy single. The single includes two really bright numbers about heartache and frustration. We absolutely adore the single, and it's it said it was recorded in in 2019 slash 2020 at 64 Sound, which you both really kind of beat the buzzer there in terms of recording at a studio (laughs) at the time. Yeah. Was any of this done remotely? I'm assuming some, like, maybe overdubs or anything like that may have done been remote, but was it all in in studio? You know what? They were recorded even before that. Sophia, do you know, like, what years that was? No More Candy, I think, was... 2018 or 2019 oh wow yeah and then sweeping wet floors was 2020 yeah okay. yeah we got lucky because sophia's dad played in this band rilo kylie yeah who which no i'm just kidding, uh, <laughs> just kidding. yeah <laughs> and then uh through that he's a really great engineer as well and he has the yeah. studio 64 sound yeah and so there was nobody really going in so we got to utilize that tool and record some stuff during that time yeah i was definitely very lucky <laughs> that we got that like extra time yeah it was cool and like since it's like a family business it would just be like me henry and my dad going yeah. in <laughs> so more covid safe when it's just like family you know yeah. and not a whole production yeah and that's pretty much like how all of our singles were made pretty much was just like us in there just whenever we had the chance and no more candy specifically was kind of put together whenever we could it'd be like an hour after i got out of school or <laughs> wasn't on the road you know just be yeah. random times when we could just get together and make music um and at that point we weren't trying to like release anything when we were making no more candy we weren't like we didn't really have that as the goal we were just having fun you know right but it's so cool that we got to got to release it <laughs> yeah. well how was how was your dad in in terms of production like that must be so nerve-wracking to have a, a father as an engineer at the time. Yeah, yeah. he's, he's really love- good at just letting the tape roll and letting us be ourselves. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, That's he's cool. I don't know. It's it's kind of nice to to have it be family. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I think he did actually some, I think he had some run-ins with a friend of mine at Atlantic. Uh, a few people, I mean, I've... I, He's one of these enigmatic figures in rock that everyone seems to know and love. And he's like carrying the torch of like rock and roll for the last like 20, 25 years. It's really awesome. James and I are both big fans. But yes, but let's talk about No More Candy because this song really grabbed me and it has a little bit of Rilo Kylie flair on the back end, I guess, a little bit. You know, it it has a bit of a bit of vibe, maybe more than Sweeping Wet Floors does. I wanted to talk a little bit about the writing process here because I think I saw that there are co-writes. Both of these are co-writes. And 
you know, obviously a lot of history between you two, you know, coming up together and then wind up making music together. You know, this song, as we were talking about earlier, has a lot of emotion underneath there. There's a lot of uh, really visceral sounding lines too. Like, forgive me if I'm, if I'm misquoting, but I think it opens with pulling out angel stitches which is a really visceral way to kick off your debut single. And a cursory, you know, read of the song points to sort of maybe a, a love that can't quite connect or something for a variety of reasons. But uh, can you tell a little, tell us a little bit about the writing of No More Candy specifically and how that one came to be? Yeah. So that one, that song is actually about, um, well, first of all, I'm a dyslexic. So a lot of the things that I write, don't really make too much sense. Like I'll think they're phrases, but they actually aren't. They're things I've misheard, (laughs) but that's about how I'm very kid-like and like candy and stuff. And we toured with this TM who was very much like everything needed to be grown up and it just like kind of sucked the whole time. And so it was kind of like about that experience. And then I recorded a rough demo, basically messed around with the words and none of them were really real and just sort of made it like a joke song making fun of our bass player. <laughs> and then uh, realized that, that the actual song was hooky and then Sophia helped uh, figure out some of the lyrics and make them to where they make sense. Yeah. <laughs> and so that was that. What were some of your lines, Sophia? Which ones are, which ones are yours? Oh my god, I don't even know if I can remember at this point. <laughs> I remember some lines that like I wanted to change so bad because they made no sense at all. Yeah. Like there's a line in the song, this life's been stung by a bag of bees. We were gonna talk about this. Uh, yes. That's our next question. <laughs> Cause I that's that line is when I knew I absolutely loved this song because I love it now. I'm so glad I didn't change. <laughs> but at the time I was like, what the heck does that mean? Like back <laughs> What could that possibly be? But I'm so glad it's left in there now because it's so fun. Um, it's so good. Like, what? Why? Why a bag of bees? Why does it somehow make perfect sense? It's <laughs> it's perfect. Very yeah, it makes perfect sense to me in my brain. Yeah. yeah. It's very. I'm glad. I'm glad I connected with somebody else. <laughs> Uh, the music video also is is great and hilarious, and you know with the giant prop candy and stuff. I, I know you worked with uh, with Gilbert on that one, and and the Gilbert connection perhaps uh, is is also one from Starcrawler because I noticed that that he had worked on a Starcrawler video too. But can you tell us a little bit about the uh, how the direction of that video came to be and the settings and all that? So Gilbert's an amazing video director and photographer, and he also shot the cover of the singles. And he's Arrow's boyfriend. Okay. And it happened to work out at a perfect time because we needed a video. The video is actually what really helped get the single pitched because we had it before the song was even out or anything. We just did it because we had nothing else to do since it was COVID. And we're all a really tight unit yeah, and really close friends. And so it worked out perfectly. Most of it was just at Gilbert's crazy cool ideas and ability to shoot things on a super tight budget and make them look amazing. Yeah. But yeah, it was a really great experience. Something that was really fun from that shoot specifically was that we kind of all worked together to make the set. So we all were like going across town, buying like pool noodles for lollipops (laughs) and saran wrap and just all this crazy crafting materials and we were just working for days and days on end like making these giant can things and trying to figure out what would look the most like taffy you know (laughs) bouncy ball i don't know crazy it was so much fun the set materials and stuff are great in that uh and the fashion in it is chef's kiss it's very good was that a custom jacket for that video sophia the uh the candy one that was our friend jessica owens who does a lot of henry's um bedazzled suits as well uh, <laughs> but yeah i just went in and was like i just want it covered in candy as fun as it can be you know yeah but it turned out so awesome <laughs> it's great and and henry knowing now that you're a, a vault member and jack white fan was that jacket as at all inspired by the would you fight for my love video because it is similar it's it's got a similar vibe to it it wasn't planned out at all it was actually it's actually gilbert's jacket Okay. It just worked with the suit Sophia was wearing, but it happened to look a lot like that other jacket. 
Well, it all it all looks great. Uh, the the video itself, it like it really is spectacular. Who was the 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 candy headed drummer and and bassist? Oh my and god, pedal steelist in there. <laughs> so that was the rhythm section in Starcrawler, who said that that was one of the worst things they've ever had to do in their life. <laughs> like the drummer Seth, he said that that was one of the worst experiences he's ever had. Wow. having that on. They almost they all almost passed out. But the worst part is we kept those out. So they're wrapped in like cellophane so they couldn't breathe and they're like the lantern things. But we kept them outside at the drummer's house. Yeah. And the one that the drummer's was wearing got, or no, Tim, the bass player, his got sprayed by a stray cat. Wow. And so, and he's also allergic to cats. And oh, so sure. they all, they all couldn't breathe and their heads were wrapped in cellophane and one of them had cat piss on them and they just all felt like they were gonna die and it was like it was like a 100 degree day it was a hot day and there was no air conditioning in the building we were in so it was like a it was like a sauna in there <laughs> it was just yeah. like wet and cat piss wow I, well that's quite a concoction yeah i love that you waterboarded him with cat urine <laughs> Yeah, I, I remember Seth afterwards was like, next time, just like punch me in the face. Yeah. <laughs> you did what all of the, the plastic bags in the world tell you not to do, which is put it over a three-year-old head. Yeah. Like it's- <laughs> but we've had it on a lot of the video shoots, ma- making something look cool. There's always some sort of comfort sacrifice. Yeah. Now, if Cash and Sky ever tours, you have to insist that the rhythm section do wear these candy yeah. hats. And- yeah. Um, we just gotta a, get some paperwork signed beforehand. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. 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 And have some <laughs> have some uh, backups. <laughs> yeah. Oof. <laughs> um, speaking of custom making things, I guess with cat urine. Um, but the uh, the the Bigsby guitar that that you're playing, Henry, uh, is so crazy looking and cool. Is that a custom body for that, or is so that... that that's actually a Gretsch that was made by Randy Parsons. Oh wow! Who ma- made Jack's a lot guy. of Jack's yeah. guitars? Yeah. Um, huh. But it's really cool. Yeah, it it looks wild. Like it it yeah, it's really really nice, and it fits yeah. that aesthetic of the the kind of room you're in at the time. Yeah, I have a. They're my favorite guitars because the necks feel really good and they sound great. They have like this custom like Billy Gibbons type pickup in it that TV Jones makes, and I mean I could go talking about it for days, but they're really. <laughs> Nice. Oh, that's awesome. So the the flip of No More Candy, Sweeping Wet Floors, that was my of the two, that one was was my was my favorite. I really it was it had a little bit of a more of a tooth to it actually I'm in a way. I just love, I, you know, I, I mentioned the line earlier, the, the sort of visceral imagery that you use in the songs, but there's something really sort of wildly relatable about the idea of sweeping a wet floor because it, it it's it's like a symbol of frustration because no matter how much you sweep away, like you're just making it, you're just more smearing than anything else. So I got the, I got the sense that frustration was perhaps the driving uh, emotion of this one. And uh, there's that great line, you know, losing all feeling when it matters most. Can you see me? Can you feel me? Can you feel that I'm close? Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, we've often heard that songwriting can help process, you know, uh, lots of different types of events in people's lives and maybe some painful ones, traumatic ones, happy ones, stuff like that. Can you tell me a little bit about how this one came to be? And was this processing any event in particular? Yeah, definitely. Um, Well, I kind of I wrote the bare bones for this song kind of like March, April 2020, just when everything was, you know, going downhill And like during that time, I was a senior in high school and everything was getting canceled. I wasn't going to graduate anymore. You know, it was just kind of a really depressing low point. And like everyone was getting COVID. It was just so scary and frustrating. And like in the midst of that, I felt like I was like losing a lot of my friends because I was losing touch with people slowly. You know, it was just kind of just this crazy, stressful, awful time for, you know, everyone in the entire world. Um, And I kind of just put my frustrations into this song and then 
took it to Henry and was like, I want to make this a bit more of a story. So we kind of made it this story that it turned out to be, which is kind of like reflected in the music video. Yeah. And it was really fun to write. Um, were you chasing, were you hunt him down with a gun? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It was... <laughs> The, 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 the chasing me down with a gun was my idea. You don't. They don't fire though. You don't it's fire. Al- it's, al- it's always been my dream to have Sophia chase me down with a gun. Was that, <laughs> was that in? Uh, that looked like Runyon Canyon a little bit. Was that where that was shot, or was that? It was. It was in the valley somewhere. Oh, okay. It was deep in the valley, on in some canyon. But yeah, yeah. There's some anger in there too. The song I feel like gets angrier as it goes. Yeah. Actually. Well, we wanted to kind of make it like a, a classic country, like hunt you down type story. You know? um, there are not enough of them anymore, ballads. and I appreciate. Yeah, no. There's no more murder ballads. <laughs> no, <laughs> not necessarily, but just something a bit more fun and a bit more yeah. angry. Well, I love the song. I, I look. This is a shot in the dark. Is there a is there a Stone Temple Pilots fan amongst you too? Because it's, it's got a bit of Stone Temple Pilotsy kind of grunge to it in a way along the core. Yeah, era, I've never but. I've never really listened to them. I'm not. I'm it's fair. <laughs> no, like I just haven't really heard their catalog yet. That's fine. No, <laughs> no, me but. neither. So is this um, is this single a, a preview of things to come? Are there plans for an album uh, with with you both? Yeah, we've been recording. We have a whole record ready. We'll see when it. We'll see when things start to get like actually ready. Like, yeah. there's always like a point where you, you have like a whole record, and then you want to like get it all to sound good together and that whole thing. But yeah, nice. That's We're awesome. almost done. We're close on the whole record. Yeah. That's great. Uh, record uh, 64 sound same deal like uh yeah yeah yep. that's yeah. fantastic well we look forward to that let's talk a little bit about star crawler so henry we saw that there's obviously a lot of connections from star crawler to cash and sky not only with the the gilbert trejo stuff but we also saw that tim contributed keyboards to the cash and sky single where are you at with star crawler how's it been balancing yeah. musical life between these two projects I mean, we're all a big family, and so especially with this, there was no, there's never like a business intention. So it was just let's get together and make some music. And yeah. they're all like me and Arrow and Tim are like siblings, and so everybody sort of helped out, and it was really cool. And like even on the music video, Arrow and Gilbert were behind the camera, and it was really great. Everybody was super supportive. So yeah, awesome. thinking. Um, about what Sophia was saying, recording music during all of this while also going to high school and stuff. Like, did you find this that any of this was like a, a good outlet to connect to other people during all of this? Because that's that's something me and Paul have been u- utilizing this show for uh, is is kind of outreach during 2020 and 2021, and I guess 2022 and forever. The creative stuff can help keep people connected through distances and and re- remote recording. So has 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 making music and being able to connect with others in creative endeavors helped soften the blow of like all this lockdown shit? I, I, I would imagine the answer is yes. We, we've been recording a bunch. Starcrawler just recorded a new record. And so it was just cool to be in the studio with all your friends during this time. We kind of made a tight little group of people, like just the band and Sophia and where we weren't going anywhere. Yeah. And so we'd all record. Um, this is Arrow. Hi. Hi, Arrow. But yeah. I was at a restaurant and this is my food. But yeah. <laughs> that for, that self-titled Starcrawler album fucking rules. I love oh, LA. Thanks. Holy shit. That thing had, I was just like, that was a real banger. That's really, really awesome. And the video is amazing too. Like those, those videos. Does, does Autumn ever participate in those videos? Or I didn't check the credits on that. Does she ever do any yeah. directing for you guys? Autumn, Autumn did the I Love LA video. Ah. And then she went to the UK for, I mean, a couple of years and she made that movie Emma. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah. We, we work with Autumn and Gilbert and a bunch yeah. of rad people. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. 
but I actually have to get going. Oh yeah, sure. Sorry. No, it's, no, no, it's, it's all fine. good. Uh, we really appreciate your time. Thank you both. We're just, uh, I, I wanted to mention, I saw you guys were on the dark Knights death metal soundtrack. Yeah. Uh, I actually work at DC. So I was, uh, oh, rad. yeah. So I, <laughs> I was, I worked on the comics that went with that and oh, I didn't cool. realize actually that you were, that you, that star crawler was a part of that. So that's very, very cool. That was super fun to do. Yeah. And just like try to write a song. Cause we wrote the song for the whole thing. Oh, you did to write something that oh, cool. fit into the Batman universe. Yeah. Like sort of like dark. And we made a music video for that with Gilbert that was super fun to make and sort of like try to fit that whole universe without like going in too much into like yeah. the actual characters. You made a, you made a, you forced a lot of stuffy nerds to rock and roll. <laughs> it was fun. Yeah. Uh, thank you both so much, Sophia, Henry. Really appreciate it. Congrats on all the success and, and cheers to more. Thank you for having us. Thanks so much. Super fun. Yeah. We look forward to the album. All right. Take care, Bye, guys. guys. Thank you. Bye. Thank you to Cash and Sky for joining us on the show today and a little cameo by Arrow DeWild. Arrow, it was great to see you for a half second. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Everybody pick up that single. Stay tuned for more from Cash and Sky and also stay tuned for more from Starcrawler. And if you haven't, again, picked up their uh, material, check out Starcrawler, uh, pick, pick up Cash and Sky, like their stuff on YouTube. Let's get the word out on these uh, on this duo here. Yeah, again, the single is No More Candy, and uh, you can find it at Third Man Records or other record stores or even on their Bandcamp. So, uh, yeah, go, go support these guys. They're amazing, and we want to hear more. Yes, and uh, I think that'll do it for us this week, James. But uh, I would also like to remind everybody, if you haven't, like, thought about rating or reviewing the show in a while, please do. It really does help us. I know we haven't talked about it in a while because we've been truncating these end bits, but it's really helpful if you rate and review this show. I know it's annoying. Listen, cards on the table. We know it's annoying. <laughs> we know it's annoying to hear us ask about it. Write something stupid in there. We don't care what you write. As long as it's five stars, write anything. Write the lyrics to Sweeping Wet Floors by Cash and Sky. What is your favorite episode of Star Trek that includes Captain Picard dressed as a detective? Well, see, I'm going to go with First Contact on that. <sighs> I mean, yes. Bold choice. Yeah. But but I did yeah, say Nick, episode. Nikki the Nose is in that one. Mm-hmm. And, and then, mine, of course, is the one where Whoopi Goldberg says that she's from Cleveland, I think, a thousand times. <laughs> you know, we were just talking about this the other day. Do you think the zebras in The Lion King could also talk? Huh. They just made Because the, if, that, those if that's squeals. the case, can you imagine being eaten alive by Whoopi Goldberg? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, James Earl Jones, eat me any day, is what I we say. We were talking about this. <laughs> we were talking about this. They're all singing about the circle of life. You know, and they're all like praising the lion at the top of the mountain. But then, like, the, the zebras there are definitely uh, going to be cons consumed. Yes. No, it's. By the thing that they're going, yeah! You know, I, it makes me wonder if they don't know. And then it's just like, hey, what's up, Mufasa? I'm dead. And they're eaten and dead. It's best not to think about it. I think the lions pay them respect, whereas the hyenas laugh about about their death. as they're yeah devouring so i guess mufasa would make it quick is what you're saying now cheech marin hear me out can eat my carcass <laughs> i was really dying to know where that was gonna go and i was i was really because he plays landed he, he plays one of one of those hyenas does he really yeah and they couldn't get tommy no but well they didn't want him <laughs> they didn't want tommy i don't know i assume this is a jack white program um, and until next episode, everybody talk about your favorite, talk about the animal that you would love to see Mufasa swiftly kill and eat as it, as it, it went mid conversation. And why is it Zazu? 
until next episode, James, I will be looking for a home as a main course for my beloved Mufasa. (laughs) (laughs) And I will be looking for a home in a candy store that has more candy. All right. We'll see you next time. Okay, bye. Well, that was 15 minutes. The Third Man Podcast was created, edited, and produced by Paul and James Kaminsky. Our theme song, We're the Third Men, was recorded by the band Radkey, who can be found at radkey.net. To contact the show, visit thirdmenpodcast.com or email thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. Also visit at the third men underscore podcast on Instagram, at third men cast on Twitter, and search the third men on Facebook. Thanks to our Patreon patrons, to everyone who has rated, reviewed, and subscribed, and see you next time. bad question we don't have to say it anyway uh <laughs> let's go back to our song hey everybody paul here with a quick message for you as james and i mentioned many times on the show this podcast is 100 not for profit and a labor of our love for music we pride ourselves in bringing you interesting timely content as we have these past 100 plus episodes podcasting is however a weirdly expensive process and we actually lose money on hosting time equipment advertising and all the other little things that we need to do to make these shows for you so to help break even on some expenses like those james and I have set up a Patreon account where you can, if you like, chip in a few bucks to help keep the lights on. It can be as much or as little as you can swing, and all donations are greatly appreciated. The last thing we want to do is hound anybody for cash, so just know that listening to our show is always payment enough, but if you would like to help us out, that would be amazing. All right, that's all from me. Remember, you can head to patreon.com slash thirdmenpodcast, and a huge thank you to everyone who's donated already. All right, everybody, I'll see you on the show. And I'm Wayne Kaminsky. You are all invited to join us on a magical mystery trip through the lives of the Beatles every week on the Yesterday and Today podcast. This show details the chronological journey of the world's most famous band using music, interviews, and rarities collected since the debut of John, Paul, George, and Ringo onto the world stage. We're a fan-made production, and we're available now on iTunes and wherever you find your podcasts. So sit back, relax, and download the stream. We hope you will enjoy the show.